Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to Era 204, the podcast where we discuss theology from a Reformed perspective and genuinely nerdy things where there's no content that you won't love. I'm Luke Denner. And I'm Mark Fromey. Today, we are going to be continuing our series on the doctrines of grace and hitting irresistible grace, and we are also going to dive into board games. And so that's a, a topic that I think gets neglected a lot because there are so many great games out there. And unfortunately, Mark and I don't have the greatest repertoire of games, but we can recommend some good ones, and I'm going to bring up some that I'd at least like to try. I recommend Tabletop Simulator on Steam. Um, <laughs> no. No, don't do that. I, I got it. It kind of sucks. Anyway, um, it's fun for screwing around in, but for actually doing anything, it's a pain in the butt. Oh, yeah. But anyway, it does have little miniatures, though. It's fun to put a bunch of those on there and then flip the table and watch them fly. <laughs> like, that's the best part of Tabletop Simulator is you can actually flip the table. So Get, get in with all of your friends and, like, they, they set up some elaborate game and you just throw the table. Yep, that's what you, that's what it's there for. It's purely for trolling. So... Anyway, And you do it virtually, that way people can't like hit you when you do it to a real table when you're meeting together. I mean, I'm pretty sure if I spent a long time setting something up, especially in Tabletop Simulator with how hard it is, and you did that, I would drive the seven hours it takes me to get to you and punch you in the face. Well, that's disappointing. That I would drive seven hours or I'd punch you in the face? I mean, if you drove seven hours, at least you'd be here. We could go get oh, yeah. some coffee or something. Yeah, after I punch you in the face, we have a good time hanging <laughs> out. So That's the thing about guys. We can deck each other and then be good five minutes later. It's just how it works. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, with that said, let's go ahead and, and jump right into it. So, Mark, how has your week been so far? My week's been awesome, man. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, it's been kind of a whirlwind. Let's see, I got back from Illinois at the beginning of the week. So it was my wife and I's first week back. And we were able to just kind of wind down, catch up on sleep. We were kind of exhausted. But uh, we're happy to be back up here on Thursday we were able to find out um, the gender of our baby. And hang, so on, we... hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. That's my best shot of the drum roll. That was terrible. Um... <laughs> that sounds like a gun. <laughs> a paintball gun when it's out of air, but you know. Yeah. So uh, we we found out we're going to be having a baby girl, so we're super Ta-da! excited about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... Uh... I mean, it's it's really indescribable the excitement. Indescribable. That, so. Oh man, come on! I'm sorry. You had to bust out the Chris Tomlin of all okay. things. Okay, Chris Tomlin, while yes, uses the same four <laughs> chords and the same ten words for every song. This music's solid, at least. He's yeah. yes, and he's done good stuff, and he is a guy that, like, I've seen him live a couple times, and he's there to lead worship, not to perform. Yeah. So yeah, I respect him. No, Don't I, like I all respe- his music. I respect him too, but respect him. So anyway. Um, yeah, so that's we found that out, and um, Lindsay's wanting to go crazy on buying all kinds of stuff for the little. Girl, I called so. dibs on the pink nine millimeter. I'm telling you, dude, get just go for a forty. Dude, I've, I've seen, seen a nine. Your daughter's not gonna be able to shoot a forty. I can shoot a forty, so my daughter should be fine. She'll be tougher than I am. I mean, that's that's true because she's got Lindsay. Yeah, exactly. It's not that hard to be tougher than me, so. No. All right, maybe I'll get her pink 40. I think 9 millimeters is usually cheaper, though. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're we're super excited about it. Out, outside of that, like, 
the rest of my week. I honestly can't even hardly tell you what my week has been just because it's all been overshadowed by that. Um, been doing a lot of reading. Uh, we got a PS4 on Black Friday, so I've started playing some games over there, which is fun. Uh, I had a whole bunch of new games added to my list of games to play because there's a lot of Yeah, you got PS4 a pretty significant games. backlog again now. Oh, yeah. It's big. So, um, Almost but as I'm big about, as mine. I'm about to... I'm about to finish my seminary class and be on winter break, so I should be able to uh, start knocking some games out. Nice. Should be fun. You need to get PS Plus so we can play together? Yeah, I'll probably try to pick it up after Christmas or something at the beginning of the year, so use some Christmas money for it or whatever. They usually, like, Sony and Microsoft both like to do sales on their online services going into the next year, so. Yeah, well, and around Christmas time, a lot of people are picking it up as gifts and stuff, too. Yep. So... So if you have an Xbox or a PlayStation and you're not as good as a PC where the Internet's free, um, be keeping an eye out for that. So, yeah, that's like I was excited you got a PS4 because now I have someone to play with. Yeah. Someone that'll put up with me. (laughs) Well, I don't know that I would go that far. Uh, You put up with me pretty well. That's true. I do a podcast with you, so you know. Yep. Even though you've threatened many times to leave. I have, or... To like kick you off and get a different host. That wouldn't go well. Anyway, mutiny. Mute <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that that's been my week. What about you, man? It's been good. Um, back to work as normal this week after the Thanksgiving week. I mean, which for me isn't that much different, just because of the way my job is right now. I'm only working three days a week, but it's it's been good. Um, I I had a, a very happy accomplishment this week at work. And so this is where we're going to get into some of that more nerdy stuff, but I don't care. Um, Super nerdy. Let's do it. So we had we had our resident director showed up, and we had just re-imaged his computer from Windows 7 to Windows 10. And he, he showed up saying, hey, I can't sign into my computer. Every time I do, it just says tells me this, gives me this message saying it's creating a temporary profile. And he's like... And, Whenever I save stuff, it doesn't save, and when I log back in, it tells me it's creating this temporary profile again. And so he didn't realize that the temporary profile was the reason stuff wasn't saving with the way our network is set up and having the the network stored files. But anyway, um, well, and I guess just in general, if if your profile is not being created permanently on a computer, it's not going to save your documents there for you. And so... He was having issues with that, and I remembered him mention it a little while back. I was like, didn't you have this issue before, and we fixed it for you? And he, he told us, he's like, no, I didn't. It never got fixed. He said, but it was fine. He goes, because I could log into my computer just fine. It was just every other computer on campus wouldn't let me in. They'd always create a temporary profile. And he's like, well, it was no big deal because I really only use my computer. And so at this point, I'm like, okay, so it has to be something specifically with the script that's running to create his profile then because it, it's evidently not an issue with the profile itself because it was working fine for him once it was already created. And so I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So I went and pulled him up in Active Directory and was looking through just the settings. And in his profile path, it had an old batch file that we used to run before we switched over to using group policy to create the profiles and apply all the settings that we have set up to be applied when your profile is created so that your documents are automatically backed up and everything on our server. And so I noticed that and went and grabbed my manager because I don't have permissions to edit those because I'm just a lowly tech. And I was like, hey, take this out of the out of the profile path there and see what happens. And so he did, 
and it worked like a dream. And I was very proud because our system admins hadn't picked it up. My manager didn't pick it up. None of the other techs picked up on it. And then about five minutes, I'd solved the problem. And I was very happy. Very nice. And, and very proud. So there you go. There's nerd. That was my big accomplishment of the week. But, um, no, awesome. Awesome. We got back to teaching on Wednesday night. It's been about a month since I've been, been teaching the youth on Wednesday nights just because of being sick and vacation and Thanksgiving. And so... I was really glad to be back there and, and to be it, it, interacting with the youth again and really encouraged. Um, we were going, we're actually working through First John now. And I know Logan from the Reform Gamers said he'd been going through that a little while back. But just talking. He's probably with him. still going through it. But yeah. yeah. And just talking with him about, uh, or with the, with the students though, about like, hey, we need to be uh, walking in the light. That's what. John's commanding here is, is very similar to what we see in, in Romans 3 when Paul says, by our faith we uphold the law, and in James when he's saying faith without works is dead, is in the beginning there. And honestly, the whole of, of 1 John is, is kind of going through this whole, if you're walking in darkness, you're not saved. There's basically two two camps here. There's people who aren't saved and people who are saved, and the way we differentiate is the ones who are walking in the light, those who are walking with God as opposed to those who just claim to be and aren't doing anything differently with their lives. And so, again, not that the works save us, but they're indicative of salvation having occurred. But in talking with the kids, I'm like, what's it mean to walk in the light? And just seeing them being able to sit there and, and look through the verses, and, and one kid raises her hand and she goes, well, it says that if we're walking in the darkness, that's a lie. So to walk in the light means we're walking in truth. And then another kid goes... Yeah, and it also says that God is light, and so if we're walking in the light, we're walking with God. And so just seeing them able to pull that out and, and tie that together was really That's encouraging awesome, and really cool to see. So had that happen, and then today spent this morning. We ha- our church does a thing where parents can drop their kids off and we'll babysit them. And like we had, we had I think six groups with about twenty kids a group for like and that was just five through 12 years old and then probably about 20 preschoolers and about 20 babies and so we had close to 200 kids there and dang that's a ton yeah it was crazy and we were having like we had more people trying to sign up and we just couldn't accommodate it this year unfortunately because we didn't have enough volunteers but it it's a a pretty big deal in the community and it was it was fun um (laughs) i definitely know why kids come at like one, two, or three at a time, and not much more than that, because I don't know how you can handle much more than that for extended periods of time. Like, I used to substitute teach, and I substitute taught kindergarten a few times, and it was way easier than this morning was. So I don't know if it was just the group of kids I had or what, but I was sitting there thinking, yeah, I I definitely don't want to have 21 kids at once. Not that that would happen anyway, but, man, people with big families, I respect you. (laughs) for <laughs> what you're able to do so much yeah, man. like especially the people that have like six kids under six and stuff like that i'm like i i don't know how you do it because we had them for half a morning and my wife and i both got home we're like we're exhausted so yeah it was it was tolling but anyway that was that was my week it was it was good um nice man that's awesome yeah yeah it's been exciting i do i miss you even more now that we got to see each other and then you're gone yeah. Like, just so you know, my original intention on Friday was to come out and hang out with you from, like, 11 to 4 and then be home to hang out with Ashley. And I just couldn't bring myself to leave. And so I was there to like, what, 8 or 9? 
Yeah, something like that. Something I mean, like we that. did. We ended up doing all kinds of stuff. So. Yeah, and it was fun. And I, it's not like I was wanting to leave either. I wanted to stay longer. I just also needed to drive home because it was a bit of a drive. Yeah, no, I understood but, that. So I was actually surprised you stayed as late as you did. So yeah, I missed having you around. So yeah, I was going to make the most of the time I had. It was good. But, you just got to get up here now. Yeah. I mean, hey, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, something will happen soon. So, yep. but all in God's timing. Yep. Which sounds cliche, but is what I'm having to hold to right now because oh, I, yeah. I really want to push through and make it happen in my timing. But fortunately, it's one of those situations where I'm like, yeah, there's honestly nothing I can do, and so I have to trust in God and, and wait. And if it's His will, it's going to happen. So, which is a lot yeah, easier to say when you're not in the middle of that situation. No, oh, it's way easier to say. Even though it doesn't seem like a major deal, like oh, it's just moving to Michigan. Why is that? It. it something i really was looking forward to and was hoping to have heard information sooner on so it's good for me but anyway all that said let's go ahead and jump into irresistible grace so we've covered total depravity we've covered unconditional election we've covered limited atonement and the the next step here in tulip is irresistible grace and again all of these are coming out of the canons of dort composed by the Synod of Dort in response to the Articles of Remonstrance. They weren't written in this order, but these are. this is a good summation in a little bit more systematic fashion of what they were addressing. And so they, they arranged the, uh, the, the canons, in my understanding, over the issues that they thought were more important. And so that's how they addressed them. And so... Like they led with unconditional election and then went into limited atonement because they thought those were more pressing and those were the doctrines that were more under attack by the Articles of Remonstrance. And so that's where they saw the need for the defense more. And so, and, and again, I could be wrong on that. That's my understanding from, from reading some uh, books and, and such on that. And it it is interesting too. I'm just going to throw this out as a side note. Like a lot of times the canons of Dort get accused of being a very niche not niche I don't know why I always say it that way a very niche um, niche yeah I don't know why I always say it that way I think it's because it sounds super sophisticated it's spelled the same way as cliche it's just you know boxing Um, (laughs) have you you heard that one boxing the what's the what's the plural of ox yeah Brian what's the plural of box Brian Boxing. Boxing. <laughs> oh, yeah. English is stupid. Anyway, <laughs> a lot of people accused it of being like a very niche representation or a very narrow representation of even the Reformed Church at the time. And that's not true. Like they had, it, it was officially a Dutch um, statement within the Dutch Reformed Church, but there were people from England, there were people from France invited, and they weren't able to make it due to the laws at that time. There, was, there were people from all across Europe represented at that at that synod, and they even allowed Arminians or people who would have held the Articles of Remonstrance to come and sit in on the meeting. And they initially was were letting them give input, and it ended up becoming too divisive. And so they they said, "Yeah, you guys can't keep doing this if you're not going to be putting input in a non-divisive way," and shut that down. But still, welcome them to come in and, and be present for it. And so they weren't they weren't trying to give a a narrow view. Um, they were trying to be very um, universal. I'm trying to think uh, of a good way to put it. Thorough. 
Maybe thorough is probably a better word. They're trying to be thorough in, in their presentation of it. So there you go, free history lesson there. And again, all of that, or the majority of that came from from Heavenly Cayman's daughter. It's just, again, a fantastic book. I can't recommend enough that just gives great background on the Synod, even though the book itself focuses in on definite atonement. It, it definitely covers more of that more than that along the way. And so it's been a, a fantastic read. But Irresistible Grace, in a nutshell, is the idea that the grace of God will not be resisted by human will in the sense that those he is called to be saved can't overcome his will or thwart his will by their own. And so if God elects somebody, they are going to come under grace. They are going to accept his grace. They're not going to be able to resist him to the point where his grace is made futile, where Christ's atoning work on the cross is made futile. And and Mark had brought that up um, last week when we were talking about limited atonement, about how one of the issues with with whether or not it hinges on what Christ has done or it hinges on like if it's atonement for everyone and then you place your faith in him is if it's based on if the efficacy is based on me placing my faith in Christ alone not in Christ alone but solely based on me placing my faith in Christ then I am capable of overcoming something that Christ has done my decision is more powerful than the blood of Christ in a, in, in a sense and so the same with the grace here if if we're saying God's grace is revealed the same way to all people and they receive it all in the same manner and then we choose to accept or reject it, that means the will of humanity is capable of overcoming the will of God. And that's just blasphemous. Yeah, I think it's Spurgeon says in his booklet, The Defense of Calvinism, in, uh, in talking through the uh, the irresistibility of, of God's grace and, and exploring it that way and, and hand in hand with limited atonement but essentially what Spurgeon says is if man is able to resist God's will or um, yeah if man is able to resist God's grace and reject the salvation extended to him but Jesus still died for that effectually on the cross then ultimately Jesus has failed in what he's come to do. And Spurgeon says he, he doesn't want a God that's, that fails at what he does. Um, it's, it's a very interesting attitude towards it, but I think it's important. And I think that, again, I think that all of these doctrines of grace build off of each other. And Yeah, I um, agree. There's a reason they're ordered the way they are because it's, it very much flows um, from start to finish. And, and irresistible grace very much hinges on and, and um, the understanding of it comes from the understanding of the stuff beforehand. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's a good summary of it. Definitely. And I do want to bring some clarity here, um, especially if this is a doctrine that you haven't heard of. And I'm, I'm pretty sure probably 90% of the people who listen to our podcast are Reformed and, and are listening to it because it's a Reformed podcast. But for the 10% who may be listening who aren't, um, I want to make sure we're clear as to what we're saying. And and for the 90% too, I want to be clear in what we're saying at all times. But I want to read something from from R.C. Sproul. Words words aren't working today. Um, From R.C. Sproul on this end. And this is an article off of Ligonier. And it was taken, I think, from one one of his books, maybe What is Reformed Theology. But 
Anyway, he says, however, the idea of irresistibility conjures up the idea that one cannot possibly offer any resistance to the grace of God. However, the history of the human race is the history of relentless resistance to the sweetness of the grace of God. Irresistible grace does not mean that God's grace is incapable of being resisted. Indeed, we are capable of resisting God's grace, and we do resist it. The idea is that God's grace is so powerful that it has the capacity to overcome our natural resistance to it. It is not that the Holy Spirit drags people kicking and screaming to Christ against their wills. The Holy Spirit changes the inclination and disposition of our wills, so that whereas we were previously unwilling to embrace Christ, we are now willing and more than willing. Indeed, we aren't dragged to Christ, we run to Christ, and we embrace him joyfully because the Spirit has changed our hearts. And so I, th- I think that's where we get into the difference between uh, the common grace of man, or not common grace of man, the common grace shown to man by God, and then these, this specific irresistible grace when God comes in and changes the heart of a man and makes him new. And, yeah, I think that's a great explanation of it. By and I, I think to, to get our heads around this, we have to take a step back and and address a misunderstanding of the process of salvation within the mm. church yeah. because the majority of the church teaches you place your faith in Christ justification and then your heart is made new regeneration and then you live your life differently as and you And then live the Holy Christ. Spirit comes into your heart. Right, which yeah causes sanctification whereas the biblical teaching is god takes your heart of stone and makes it a heart of flesh regeneration then because you've been made new because you've been brought to life because your eyes have been opened you then place your faith in christ which you were previously incapable of doing justification and you then live differently for him sanctification and so the order is not Justification does not precede sanct- or justification does precede st- precede sanctification. Justification does not precede regeneration. It's the yeah. other way around. But we mix that up a lot in the church. I think. I think your average person doesn't think you're made new until you place your faith in Christ. Instead of recognizing you placed your faith in Christ because you've been made new, and that's yeah. how we that's how we remedy what a lot of people see as a tension. With well, if God's saving me, then why do I have to place my faith in Christ? Because He's commanded us to. But we're incapable of it until we're made new. And then once we are made new, we see him as he is. We see the beauty of the gospel. We see the beauty of Christ. And we run to him, as, as Sproul put it. And that's why I asked on Facebook, in our Facebook page this week, um, what people's favorite foods and, and desserts are. And I will admit, Jesse got on thin ice by dissing apple pie. But... Oh, man, I, Jesse. I'm I, telling I, you, bro. I won't let you ban him. I won't let him ban you, Jesse. I, I, I like you. If it, ha- if it happens again, man, <laughs> I make no promises. But you, you should know that apple pie is marked both of our favorite desserts. So it, it. I mean, there is, there's nothing on this planet that comes close to apple pie for me. Right, and so I, I, oh. I think that's a picture of irresistible grace, though. Like if I set a fresh, hot apple pie on the counter with some ice cream next to it. Oh, dude. And, and you have access to it, Mark. What are you going to do? Oh, it's gone. That that apple pie is gone in like ten minutes. Yeah, you're, you're going after. It. We're we're gonna we're gonna go for it because it's something we love. It's something we see as desirable. It's something we see as, as beautiful at times, um, at least to our palate. And and so it's something we want. And so we we run to it. And I think that's the, the same way 
with Christ. And I think that's part of the the image we get in the treasure, in the parable of the treasure in a field, is the man, when he finds a treasure hidden in a field, goes and sells all he has and in his joy purchases the field. And that man saw the treasure. He had to, he had to see the treasure. His eyes had to be hope, open to the fact the treasure was there. But then in his joy, he sold all he had and bought the treasure. He wasn't commanded, yeah. okay, now go sell all you have and buy the treasure. He did it joyfully because he saw it was valuable. He saw it was worthy. And that's how it is yeah. with, with us in Christ. When our eyes are opened, when we see Christ for who he is, when we see God for who he is, then in our joy, we run to him and we want him and we don't want anything else, at least not in our spirit. Our flesh, yeah, there's still some issues there. But in our spirit, we want him and we desire him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's a um, a drastic heart change that happens when when we're given new life, and um, yeah, I've I've argued that because the the common you know um, pushback against that is again I would argue lacking a understanding of it, what we mean when we say irresistible grace, which I think you've defined really well. But there's very much an attitude of like, well. So are you saying that people can't say no? It's like, well, I'm I'm saying that if God has truly um, regenerated them or sought after, like if 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 they are one of the elect, as we talk about in the second doctrine of grace, um, ultimately, no, they're not going to be able to say no, right? Like, right. Uh, even even if you, in a time of rebellion or in hardness of heart, reject something, like every time I sin. I am hardening, my heart is hardened and I am rejecting God in some sense. Um, I'm rejecting his commands on my life. I am putting myself above him. But even in that, I come to repentance because God convicts me of that and he shows me his grace. And when I see and fully, truly understand the grace of God, I can do nothing but repent, right? I'm left with no other option. Um, it is, it is absolutely and utterly irresistible when God has truly and fully revealed what the gospel is and what he's done for us. Like, um, I mean, there's, there's no, I mean, this, this I think goes hand in hand with the sanctification stuff. And we talked about on our very, very first episode of this podcast, we talked about uh, faith alone, but at the same time, the works that come during sanctification um, and how those aren't contributors to our salvation but they are a response to our salvation um when we recognize the grace of god when we recognize the work of the gospel and how it affects us and changes us and how undeserving we are of it we we're left with nothing but to accept it like i couldn't bring myself to say no there's no reason i would want to say no yeah Um, and that's how yeah that's how I prefer to word it. So when someone asks that question, oh, so are you saying we can't say no? Um, yes. At the end of the day, yes. That's the answer to the question. But I prefer to word it because I think it's more accurate to to what we see to yeah. say, why would you want to say no? It's not exactly. that we can't say no. I mean, we can't, but not because we're being forced to say yes, but because we don't want to say no. Again, back yeah. to the apple pie. Someone <laughs> offers me a piece of apple pie. I'm not saying no to that. Not because I can't yeah. say no, and again, differences here. Every analogy breaks down, 
but because I don't want to say no yeah, to that, because I want that and I desire that. there's something that desirable, yeah. There's, there's nothing on this earth that would make me not want it, right? Right. Like, absolutely nothing. When, when, when a, my favorite dessert is placed in front of me, um, then absolutely I'm going to go for that, no matter what. Yeah, and so uh, for all you listening, there you go. This is the, the tie into the Facebook question. Go back and, and think of whatever food or dessert it was you said. And it's that same concept. If someone places that in front of you and you're hungry, why would you want to say no? Yeah. And, and so that's how I like to term it. Is it's not that we can't. It's that we don't want to. And again, it, 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 it seems like semantics there. But I think it's very important because we don't want to paint this picture of the, the Holy Spirit busting into the house and dragging us out. And yeah. albeit sometimes there's... There's different ways this goes about. Like Mark and I were talking about this before the podcast, and he brought up Paul. And, like, Paul was persecuting Christians, and it took God blinding him and appearing to him on the road in Damascus, Damascus and Christ going, why are you persecuting me, for him to come around, um, for him to be saved. And so that, again, that's all God. That's his irresistible grace. And so it's manifested in a different manner there. And you hear stories of people like that. There's a man at my church I know who has told me that, growing up he always knew the gospel he was a pastor's kid he knew the gospel but he he didn't want to give in to it because he didn't want to have to change his life and so he fought and fought and fought against um living for christ and against salvation for years and he said and finally he goes you know i I realized this is it this is what god's calling me to this is what god's done for me and so he did end up um placing faith in Christ and becoming saved. And again, all that happened because of God's irresistible grace, but in a different manner than the person who comes to the gospel and hears it and goes, holy cow, and is overwhelmed and runs to it immediately. So it it plays out differently depending on the circumstance. God gets his own, like Jesus wins. We we talk like when we talk about revelation, it's one of those things where, um, you know, there's all kinds of theories and, um, theology surrounding Revelation that you can argue about, but ultimately what we have to recognize is Jesus wins, right? Also, like that's the easy summation. Yes. Sidebar that's, that's here. That's the case in salvation too. Sidebar here. Two things actually. So here oh, we go. One, Mark stole that. That's not his phrase. That comes from uh, Dr. Griever, who we had in in college, who probably stole it from somebody else, but was a great summation of it. Huh. He was the like, Jesus you know, can, wins thing? Yeah. yeah. He was like, you know, we can say oh, the dragon represents this, or the locust represents this. He goes, or we can just read it like a child would read it and go, ooh, a dragon, that's a bad thing. Ooh, God, that's a good thing. And at the end of the day, Jesus wins. Yeah. And that's what matters. And B, so one and B. <laughs> one and B. And and B, please understand, that this is a side note, but it comes off a conversation that I had earlier this week, and, and Mark was a part of it too. Please understand there are literary types within scripture. <laughs> yeah. And so I was I was speaking with a guy who was saying that the way he reads the Bible is if it feels literal to him, he interprets it literally, and if it feels figurative to him, he interprets it figuratively, and basically said the idea of, of literary types within the Bible is stupid. And yeah. given the fact that we read every other book within its literary type, understanding there is poetry within scripture, there is um, apocalyptic literature in, in Revelation and some in Daniel. There there's prophecy. Is there's prophecy. 
There's there, wisdom literature. There's narrative. There's letter there's, writing. Like we read letters differently than we read other stuff. All these different types of literature, and so those should those should be part of how we're interpreting scripture. So please just be aware of that. That's all a free sidebar, but it, it really scared me oh, man. when I saw that someone was interpreting scripture that way. And honestly, as someone who used to interpret scripture that way, and so my fear was not like a, oh this idiot. It was a oh man, I've been there. And I know how dangerous that is, and I know what kind of wrong ideas I got from stuff. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, just understand that. I mean, you don't have to be sitting down and and reading through. Okay, so in history, how did this narrative go, and how would other historical narratives have been read, and where would they have been allowed to divert from true historical fact? And you, you don't have to do all that. Just understand there are differences within literary types. Yeah. And so, and it's important to know what you're reading because it changes the way that you interpret what you're reading. Definitely. And so, um, yeah, there's hermeneutics are important for every believer. It's not something that only your pastor should know, but you should understand when you go in and read scripture. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think we should probably take a future podcast to maybe talk about that. And Dude, the, let's do it. The the rise of, and it's, I mean, it's not super recent, past two, three hundred years, and all coming out of the Protestant Reformation of, though, just read the Bible and interpret it for yourself. And the dangers within that. I think we should talk about that at some point. But anyway, back to the the topic at hand: irresistible grace. And yeah. and so, yeah, that's. I feel like we've we've hit it pretty well. What are the implications for this, though? What are the, what's the application of this for the life of the believer? Well, so I, you'd brought up last week um, the the quote from one of our professors that there's a special place in hell for those who just sit and dwell on the doctrines of grace. And I don't want that to be what we're about, and I don't want that to be what we're promoting, is just sitting and learning this theology. And we've said that from day one. We don't want to be about learning theology for the sake of theology or talking about theology for the sake of theology. It has to be affecting our lives. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm going to make a correction because his, his quote was specifically, there's a special place in hell for people who dwell on um, elect versus non-elect. Gotcha. Even so, I think you could go but, beyond yeah. for those who... Sure. A special place in hell might be strong, but there's definitely something very, very wrong with sitting and thinking on theology and discussing theology and debating theology and never and living never, differently yeah. and never actually proclaiming the gospel or allowing it to get from the head to the heart and affect us and those around us. Absolutely. So so what would the applications be of irresistible grace and i have a couple thoughts but i've talked a lot this podcast so i'm gonna let you (laughs) hop in here yeah dude um i think that practically again i think that the doctrines of grace really um play out in the way that we evangelize and interact with the world and so i mean i find it interesting like um reformed thinkers or calvinists are often accused of like not evangelizing and sometimes they are guilty of that like there there are groups that get um into what's called hyper calvinism that are just use basically as, fatalism it, yeah it's an excuse essentially to be lazy and what god's commanded of us um but i th- i think that when we have a proper understanding of god's sovereignty and salvation then it frees us to evangelize and like the the doctrine of irresistible grace when i'm sharing the gospel with someone i don't have to worry about or wonder if they're going to deny that because again if they are someone who God's calling to himself and who God is going to renew their heart 
then ultimately they will come to him even if I don't see it. It's going to happen. I don't have to be fearful of that. I don't have to wonder um, who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved because that's in the hands of God, not me. And so I can I can share the gospel with confidence because of that, and I can not worry or dwell on um, different um, people and different uh, situations in their life whenever I'm wondering, like, are they going to become a believer or not? And uh, That's in the hands of God, and I can be confident in that, and I can be confident that no person is going to thwart that. Um, that's already become, and just share a story. I, I was talking to you a little bit before about this, but... Um, last night I had a really unique experience where uh, Lindsay and I had were doing an Advent devotional going through December um, leading up to Christmas and everything. It's Paul David trips and it's awesome. But we started doing that last night um, and we read through it. We spent we prayed together and then uh, Lindsay was telling me that she was feeling the baby kicking a lot and um, she had me like put her put my hand on her stomach. And I was able to feel feel our daughter kick for the first time, um, which was super awesome. Like it, it's that's an indescribable experience as well. Like there's just so much going on with uh, being a parent that's insane, and our baby's not even born yet. But that was neat. and I just as I was sitting there with Lindsay, um, feeling my daughter move around, I just started praying for her, um, praying that when she's born that Lindsay and I will be able to lead her with wisdom and that we will be able to train her up, um, in God's word and train her up with a love for God. Uh, but more than anything, I was just praying and asking that God would by his grace, save her, that God would draw her to himself and that she would be, um, someone who loves God and, and loves his word and loves his commands and, and seeks after him for her whole life. Uh, and I was, I mean, it wasn't very long before I was just weeping in prayer for my daughter. And I care about that. I'm going to, there will be many times I'm sure where I am weeping and praying over my children. But ultimately my peace is in the, the fact that I trust that God is going to accomplish his will. And if it is his will for my children to be saved, then they will be saved. And I don't have to worry about that or stress about that or wonder about that because it's who God is. There's there's nothing in me that's going to change that. There's nothing in my children that's going to change that. But I can trust that he will make them new if that's his will and that my daughter and, and any future kids by his grace will come to know him because He is his grace is irresistible uh, when it's truly revealed. And so I think that it really, it gives us confidence and peace as believers. We It removes worry and anxiety from our lives. Just... God's sovereignty removes that from us. You know, we see constantly commanded throughout the New Testament for us to not be anxious and, and to trust in God because he is good and he is all-powerful and it's all in his hands. Um, when we truly have a right understanding of that, I think it works itself out very practically in our lives and it changes the way that we live, it changes the way that we think, it changes the way we pray, it changes everything. God changes everything constantly. And so um, this is no different. I think that Irresistible grace is one of the doctrines that kind of gets brushed over the quickest because, um, one, like I said, I think it ties in with the others enough that it's, if if you are in agreement with total depravity, unconditional election, limited or definite atonement, 
then Irresistible Grace becomes easy. Like, it makes sense. But it doesn't change the fact that it changes us, right? Like, it's it's a doctrine like anything else, and it makes a difference in how we live and who we are as Christians. And so I think that we need to give it its um, due diligence in our mind and, like, think through it and make sure we truly understand it and make sure it does change the way we live, make sure it does change the way we pray, make sure it changes the way we we proclaim the gospel to others, um, that we can do so with boldness because ultimately it's not on us and we don't have to worry about whether or not people are going to thwart God's plan because it's unthwartable and he's irresistible. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think that's, I mean, that's been the takeaway we brought up basically from the beginning, from total depravity. Absolutely. Is, is that confidence in evangelism, that confidence in the sovereignty of God. And I find it ironic that one of the biggest pushbacks against the doctrines of grace is that people think it'll lead to an elitist mindset. And sometimes they're justified in that because there are definitely people who who take that and they take it too far. And instead of recognizing the grace for what it is, they begin to think they're special for some reason. Yep. But none of these leave us with that. None of these doctrines leave us with that. They all leave us with hope for the worst of men because we know that God is capable of, of changing the hearts of the worst of men. And, yeah. and you and I know that because we know what we were like before we really, before God really got a hold of us. And, yeah. and I think that should be for all of us. And that's why we have to have a firm understanding of total depravity too, is it's so easy to look down our noses at sinners when we don't understand that we were enemies of God, we hated God, we cursed his name until he saved us. But that makes this irresistible grace all the more beautiful because it means that in, in spite of that, in spite of our vehemence against God, and, and like Sproul said, our relentless resistance to the sweetness of his grace, he is capable of changing our wills and changing our desires to to where we are freed from that bondage to sin and we are freed to to love him and pursue him. And that, that gives us hope for everyone in the world. Again, not that everyone will be saved, but knowing that there is absolutely nobody who is beyond the reach of the grace of God. And, and so that should give us confidence and should lead us to avoid discriminating in our evangelism. Like we don't get to look oh, at someone absolutely. and go, oh, well, they're just too far gone. No, because we weren't too far gone. and But by man's standards, we're all already too far gone. So it's yeah. only this grace that's going to save us. So Yeah, I, I think that all of this, like the doctrines of grace and, and just Reformed theology in general, I think, when, again, when it's understood rightly, it should give us one, like you said, it gives us hope and confidence and the power of God. But I think... It, the other side of it is rather than giving us an elitist mindset, what it really should do is humble us because like you said, we, we weren't too far gone, but we know that we were wicked beyond all measure and there was nothing good within us um, that we couldn't choose God because we were so in love with ourselves and that it took God to change us. And he didn't change us because of anything we've done or anything we will do. He changed us because he wanted to, and it was in his good pleasure to do so. And yeah. that is a humbling thing to think about and to recognize that his grace is so desirable and so irresistible. Even in my 
faith put even in putting my faith into it and my acceptance of it because again like you said we don't believe that we're puppets on a string there is an aspect of free will it's not a libertarian free will but god has still given us a will and an ability to do to act within his creation but when we recognize the desirableness of his grace ultimately that's still on him that's not us either and it should be humbling that god is so precious that he can change us so drastically that we want nothing but him. It's it's yeah. an amazing thing and it's a humbling thing to experience. Yeah, and also back to back to my tagline of late. Um, this should drive us to worship. Like we are able to behold God and His glory and His righteousness and His holiness in a way that the rest of the world can't because of a corrupted will, but because of this grace that has opened our eyes we get to see this differently and seeing it should be motivating us to worship whenever we look at god we should worship and and we talked about that in the conversation earlier this week although we were on different sides of that one (laughs) the the statement is true whenever we behold god it should drive us to worship and that's the same with this irresistible grace knowing that we're now free to see this beauty and we're free to see him in all of his, his glory i mean we see him dimly now but but you get what i'm saying the fact that yeah. we're able to, to behold that should drive us to worship which honestly is what drives evangelism so if if we're Definitely. not worshiping we're not going to be evangelizing but but yeah so that is irresistible grace in a nice little nutshell. Um, yeah. And again, I'll, I'll throw this out there again. I know we do this almost every episode, but just want to make sure when we're talking about these things, please feel free to, to ask us questions on them and, and to challenge us. We're not going to make fun of you or come into it trying to just defend or prove a point like, we're both very open and desiring to have good conversations with brothers about the word of God. So please be, be willing to, to converse with us if you have questions or if, if things don't make sense. So I'm going to end with this here for, for this section of the, of this episode. Um, Sproul ends his article saying, I have a little bit of a problem using the term irresistible grace, not because I don't believe this classical doctrine, but because it is misleading to many people. Therefore, I prefer the term effectual grace because the irresistible grace of God affects what God intends it to affect. Hmm. And so I, I think we should make a motion to change tulip to tudep. Tudep. So you got total, total depravity, unconditional election, definite atonement, effectual grace, and then perseverance of the saints. So what we need to do is we need to make a new cross hybrid flower and name and it two depth, and then we can and then we can change the doctrine Push of grace to two depth. I there like it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so that's that is where we will be next week, though, guys. Is perseverance of the saints. So be looking out, keep your eyes peeled wide open for that. Um, I don't know why that's become a thing I say now, but it, it peeled it wide been. open. Peeled wide open. That's creepy sounding, dude. I know, isn't it awesome? <laughs> Oh, it's just what I've been saying, and I'm, I'm going to stick with it. I'm committed now. So, Oh, my. Anyway, that is, that is our theological side of the podcast. Now to get a little bit nerdy on you. Um, well, I shouldn't say it that way. It almost sounds like I'm saying dirty. It <laughs> does. That was... You're just creepy this episode, dude. 
hey, you know, they're just beginning to see my true side. Oh, oh man. that's I'm, I apologize, guys. <laughs> I'm not a creepy dude. I do come across as creepy at times. But you do, too, to be fair. Um, it's just yeah. sometimes words don't form the way I want them to. But anyway, um, I think that's just a nerdy thing, though. Like, I think when you're nerdy, you just come across as creepy at points on accident because you're, like, referencing something or you're saying something and people don't catch it. Or you say something that, you know, sounds fine to you and, and your close circle of friends, but then the rest of the world that's normal, they hear it. And they're like, dude, that's freaking <laughs> weird. And yeah, that's so, true. Um, I think it's just a curse that we have to bear. <laughs> Is this anyway. our thorn in the flesh? N- no, I don't <laughs> think we get to go that far with it. Um, <laughs> but a little bit nerdy. Let's talk about board games. Tabletop so, games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we can talk about tabletop games in general, I guess. That that lets us get even more nerdy, though. Um, but yeah, so board games in, in general is actually still a market that's thriving pretty well right now dude it's crazy um there are a, a, just a ton of great great tabletop games out there and i'm almost getting to the point where like i have a i have a huge backlog backlog of video games but i'm wanting to start building a backlog of like board games first off so that way i can um be doing something that's not gonna be straining my eyes so much because you know i work all day in it excuse me, staring at a computer screen. And then if I come home and play games, I basically stare at a computer screen all day, so I'll be blind yeah, dude, by the time I'm insane. 30. So I'm kind of wanting something, like reading is good, but even reading is a bit of a strain on your eyes yeah. if you're doing it for too long. So I'm wanting something that's going to be not as strain on my eyes. And so I was thinking board games would, would probably be a good thing to get more into. Dude, um, when you when you and Ashton move up here, we're going to have to do like regular board game nights. That's what I was going to say. That's that's one thing I'm looking forward to. Like right now, there's not many people for me to play with, and there's not a whole lot of great just two-player board games out there where you can do co-op stuff because yeah. I, I try to avoid competitive stuff against my wife because I, I tend to get very competitive, and that doesn't always end well. I was talking with her today while the kids were playing musical chairs about how the last time I played musical chairs was at a camp where I was a counselor, and I hip-checked one of the female counselors into concrete and skinned her up pretty good, and also sent a student flying through a bunch of chairs so I could get a chair, and at that point decided <laughs> I probably shouldn't be playing this game anymore. So probably I stopped. Probably a good call. <laughs> See, but, Luke's issue is he's always been this way, but he eventually got big enough to over, overpower other people, and that's when it became a problem. That that was... I Dude, I legit, at that camp, during the rec time, I hurt like three people in one day, and then after that, it was the first day, and I was like, okay, I'm not doing rec anymore, because we were playing this other game, which was really fun, but you'd all stand around. There's a trash can in the middle. You'd stand around, and they had, like, little one-foot pieces of rope with knots tied on the end, kind of like, you know, the dog rope toys. Yeah. They kind of looked like that, and you'd all hold those, and then there were two teams, and you alternated people. And so the goal was to either break the rope from the person next to you, like get it out of their hand, and they were out, or get someone to touch the trash can, and they were out. Well, at the start of, of one round, I thought to myself, I'm like, Hey, self, if I rip really hard here, I could probably get both people on either side out. And so I did. The one, the person to my left had a loose grip, so it wasn't bad. The person to my right had a tight grip, and I took all the skin off their hand. Oh. So, yeah, that was bad, too. Anyway, all that's why I don't play competitive games with my wife, because I don't want to injure her. Um, but yeah, great, great board games out there. I'll throw one out there that is a fantastic co-op, thing, co-op game, and that's Pandemic. Pandemic is a really fun 
game. I want to get Pandemic. I haven't played it yet, but it's it's, it's it a blast. Me. And so basically, it's like the opposite of Plague Evolved, where instead of being the plague trying to wipe out the world, there is a plague trying to wipe out the world, and you are trying to cure it. And it's a lot of fun. I remember when my wife and I got it, like we played it for pretty much two days straight, and then unfortunately burnt ourselves out on it and haven't touched it since. Gotcha. But and it's also a game too. There'll be a lot more fun with like four or five people. I think you, I think you can play with up to six if I remember right. Cool man. But with more people, it'd be more fun. But that's a, a really fun game that gets a, a recommendation from me. Um, this is one I know we both love, Stratego. Oh yeah. Love me some Stratego. Stratego. If you pronounce it Stratego, go home. Um, Get out. <laughs> just forever. <laughs> just be gone. Don't if talk you, to anyone if, ever again. At least if you do, don't admit it in the Facebook group. I don't want to have to ban you. Um, yeah, we still haven't had our first ban yet, which is no, good. I, that's a good thing, because even though we've joked about it, there's... <laughs> we there's, don't want to have to do anything like that. Yeah, and just know, like, that's how Mark and I joke. And When we were working together... We used to joke with each other all the time about the other one being fired. To and the point where we got told we couldn't joke about that anymore. <laughs> yeah, we got we we got in trouble for it. Which, we didn't stop, we just stopped saying it with people around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we would just do... I mean, it would be like the most ridiculous little thing, like... Um, like, I'd forget like, to turn the phones from night to day or something. Yeah, and just walk up, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> or we do the, the bug's life, you're fired! Yeah. Um... But <laughs> anyway, so we joke like that. So please don't like be in the face. If you're in the Facebook group, don't be afraid of a ban unless you're doing something pretty awful. You're not going to get banned. We're going to PM you before that happens. Yeah. But anyway, Stratego. Stratego is a, a fantastic game. Um, Mark, I'll let you talk a little bit about it and then I'll talk about why nobody ever wanted to play me in it when I was younger. Gotcha. I mean, I, so I just love strategy games as a whole. Those, especially in board game form, like that's my. I don't. I talked about this, I think, in a Facebook group. It might have been the Reform Gamers actually were talking about like competitive games or things like that. Like, though, for me, the less randomized things, the better. Like, the more uh, I can control something or actually influence it, the better. So, like. So, how do you deal with risk then? And that's, see, I love Risk, but those exact things are the things that frustrate me about Risk. Obviously, there's there's not really any other way to do it, but um, even that, like, I don't know, man, like, Risk and Stratego are the same, because there's, there's always a sense of randomness, like, if, if you're in Stratego and you're just kind of trying to... Um, no, I wouldn't say there's randomness in Stratego. In Stratego your opponent has strategically placed up their army. So you don't know how it's set up, but it was still placed by a person, not just the randomness of a die. True. Um, well, depending on who you're playing against. Some people probably <laughs> do fair. just set it up randomly. Uh, I would say, though, with both those, the reason I love Risk and Stratego is because if stuff doesn't go your way, right? Like if in Risk, if I have even a plan and I start attacking or doing these different things, and, like, I'm just not getting dice rolls and stuff like that, I enjoy even that because as frustrating as it is, it lets me think through new stuff and, okay, how am I going to change my strategy and how am I going to change what I do? Um, Or in, like, Stratego, if I'm going for something, and I lose a piece that was something I wasn't ready to lose yet or, or whatever it may be, like, 
it's one of those things where, okay, now how do I change the way I approach this different stuff? Um, I find, I love that. Like, that's one of the things I love about those strategy games is I like being able to play through. The interesting thing about that is, like, I I like chess okay, and I think I, chess is probably a game I would really, really enjoy, but... You just suck at it? I never took the time to learn, like, strategies and different things like that with chess. Um, and so I... I never got super good at thinking ahead and thinking through like what my opponents were going to do. And so I never got super into it, but I'm sure that chess is a game I would like because it's very much in the same category. Um, I just don't play it that much and I never got good at it for that reason. But yeah. Yeah. Um, my dad always refused to play risk because he didn't like leaving it up to the chance of the die. Like he would play chess or he'd play Stratego with me, but he would not play risk because he didn't like the randomness of the die. Interesting. So, but see my issue with chess is I play chess like you play Risk. So in Risk, your goal is to wipe your enemy from the map. <laughs> and that's the, that's the only way to play Risk, by the way. This whole capital crap, all that's stupid. You're not dead if you still got soldiers on the field. Um, <laughs> so the only, only way to play is a Global Conquest. That's the name of the game. <laughs> but, yeah, in chess, I get more concerned with taking pieces and forget, oh no, I just have to take the king. Yeah. And so that's my issue with that. The reason people hated playing me in Strategio, Strategio, oh man, now I'm saying it. Stratego, I'm going to ban you. I get to ban you now. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Um, is because I intentionally play Stratego like I play chat, or play Risk. And I intentionally would, whenever I got the upper hand, and even if I knew where the flag was and could end the game, I would wait until every single piece except the flag had been eliminated. And then I would take the flag. Like, there were no bombs left. There was nothing left. Just the flag. And then I would take your flag while you had to sit there and watch me destroy your army piece by piece. And so people stopped playing with me because they they thought that was pretty lame and it got old pretty quick. And looking back, I don't blame them. (laughs) Yeah. Remind me to never play Stratego with you. I mean, I won't do that now. Especially against someone who would probably be a a more challenging opponent. I would go (laughs) for the win. But I used to be pretty good at it and the people I played weren't that great at it and so I would just yeah. have fun by making them suffer <laughs> yeah so you, you brought up Risk is prob- Risk is my favorite board game Risk is fantastic Risk is a game see I can't play Risk one time with somebody I have to yeah. play Risk over the course of months with people because I have to train the people I'm playing with not to attack me so <laughs> like we used to play every Wednesday night at church when I was going through youth like we'd all after youth was out, we'd all go down to the gym and set up risk and play. And the guys we played with was the same group every week. And if anybody attacked me, I would I would tell them to their face, I don't care about winning the game anymore. I'm taking you down <laughs> with me. And that's what I would do. Well, over the course of months, that conditioned people to don't attack Luke because it automatically means he's going to make you suffer and you're going to lose. And then I could just sit there and build an army and then take over the world, and I'd win all the time. It was fantastic. Uh, see, I, I was... He's got to condition the players, right? <laughs> uh, I played I play Risk pretty strategically, but I also, like, there's definitely a sense... In, like, in Risk, I think there's a sense of, um, like, in the way that you communicate with other players, that's part of the strategy, too. Like, I agree. Like, I always hate it when people are like, oh, you can't, you can't agree not to attack each other or anything like, like that. Well, like, sure I can. Like, like, yeah, we can choose not to attack each other. 
Yeah. Dude, and and we, they weren't binding, trust me. There were many times I made non-attack agreements with people and then stabbed them in the back. <laughs> yeah. But I remember, so... Man, the, no one's going to ever want to play board games with me after this episode. I don't blame them. Um, <laughs> but, no, I'm going to share this this one story. This is my, I think, best risk story, in my opinion. Um, it was, I don't know, it was a few years ago. And my wife and I were dating. And I, it was... I guess it was more than a few years ago because I was probably still in high school. Uh, Might have been my first year of college. But anyway, it was New Year's Eve, and I just went over to my uh, wife's family's house, at the time girlfriend, and we were were just hanging out doing all kinds of different stuff. And then at like 8.30 at night, my father-in-law wanted to play risk and i was like i'm not going to turn down a game of risk and so him and i and then uh lindsey's brothers the four of us started up a game of risk we got it all put together and everything and it was an intense game of risk back and forth it was all over the place and it lasted eight hours holy crap we played like and it was i was convincing like uh, Lindsay's brothers to like not attack me and attack their dad instead. And, like there was a few times where uh, Lindsay's dad, had, Jeremy, had just flat out outplayed me, and I should have died, but he wasn't able to stop me because his son started messing with him, and so he had See? to focus on them. And I was able to go you just rebuild get the myself. weaker people to join you because you can wipe them out later and take. Oh, out the exactly. Threat. That's exactly what I did, and it took forever though. And it was, I mean. I think at like 2 or 3 a.m., Lindsay ended up going to bed. She was like, I'm going to bed. Like, I don't care what you're doing. And so we were up, and I was at their house until 6 a.m. Um, playing That's Risk. Awesome. I won in the end. I did. I ended up winning the game. Um, but, dude, the best part of it, like, so we finally finished that game at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I drove back home, and I walked in to my parents' house, like, came in through the garage to find my dad standing in the kitchen making coffee. And he turns around and looks at me, and he goes, like, he's still half asleep. He's like, are you you just getting home? I was like, yeah. And he goes, where were you at? I said, I was at at the stumps. And he goes, okay. And pauses for a minute, and he goes, did Lindsay's parents know you were there? I was like, Lindsay went to bed, like, four hours before I even left i was just playing risk with her dad and so my dad was like oh okay <laughs> but like it it lasted so long that i got home when my dad was getting up for the day that's hilarious and but it was awesome it was that you won so that would have been very a very disappointing loss oh dude yeah i was at that point i was like i'm staying here this late and i'm not leaving with a loss like i i will win this oh that's awesome oh so good. yeah it is it's a great game i will say too on the risk topic like, I have the old school board before they added the stupid line in um, from... Oh, to Australia? From no. South America? Oh. Is that there now? Uh, there, I know there's variations of the board where there's a line in from, uh, I think it's Peru to, or Argentina to Australia. That would irritate me, too. No, the one that really irritates me is Africa was one of my favorite continents to hold. And then they added in to, I think it was like West Africa or whatever that is. Used to basically, there were three entrance points into Africa: Egypt, Northern Africa, and then um, I'm trying to remember the other one. But there were three places you could enter in Africa, and they changed it and made it four. And that irritated me because I liked being able to hold 
only three places instead of four. So whenever we played with that board, I told people I would not play with them if we were counting that line as actually working. Oh, man. So basically, yeah, we had, I, yeah. I was a pain in the butt. Um, no, Risk is one of the games that I've, like, I have different strategies I do in all different scenarios, and I can usually hold my own no matter what kind of setup I get at the start. Yeah, Risk is, yeah, Risk is, is great. That's probably my favorite game of all time too axis and allies is a fun game but takes like months it takes to play so through. long i'm gonna uh, add on, on the risk topic, the game i'm gonna throw this in real quick i had as a kid i remember my dad got us the special edition lord of the rings risk which was a map of middle earth and all that kind of stuff which was super sweet but i was a little kid and i didn't have an appreciation for board games and so like i lost pieces and destroyed it and all that kind of stuff and Eventually, as like in high school, I was like, "Man, I want I want Lord of the Rings Risk again." Like we don't have it anymore, and I really want Lord of the Rings Risk just because I love the Middle Earth map layout, and I couldn't like search for it all over the place. And the only like to find that special edition of Risk, it's like anywhere from two hundred and fifty to four hundred dollars to actually buy the board, and it's like a used board. I'm like, I I love it, but not that much. Oh, dude, way to be an idiot. Oh. Also, what's up with this new risk board where the characters are like all mech warriors and crap like that? Like, oh, what happened to the good old cavalry and cannons and little men with the rifles that broke? Um, <laughs> like, that, that's risk. You don't get to bring in all this mech futurized crap. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to play risk now. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Um, yeah, Stratego was, was, was probably my favorite one back in, in like high school and middle school, though. Like, I had. Regular Stratego, Lord of the Rings Stratego, and Chronicles of Narnia Stratego. Nice. So, I Lord of the Rings versions. Stratego to regular Stratego always threw me off because they reversed numbers. Like, yeah. And regular that, Stratego it was highest was lowest. Like highest was weak numbers were weakest and lowest numbers were highest. Yep. And then Lord of the Rings Stratego flipped it and low numbers were weak and high numbers were strong. And it threw me off every time. Yeah. Yeah. It messed with me too. I'm trying to think. The only other game. I can really think of board game wise that I really enjoyed during high school was I had a and actually I think I still have it somewhere. It was the Hobbit, the board game, and so you got to play through the stories of the Hobbit, and that was pretty fun. Interesting. But yeah, a couple of games I'm looking to pick up are War of the Ring and Star Wars Rebellion, but neither of those are cheap, so I don't know if I'll yeah. be able to get them anytime soon. But anyway, so so nice. yeah, that is. That's our take on board games. We are coming up on on about where we'd usually try to wrap up our podcast. So, if you have any board games that you love or think we should try out based on the board games we really like, which essentially is Risk and Stratego, <laughs> yeah, um, let us know. Like I'm, I like playing board games, and so if I can find new ones to try out, I'm always willing. Yeah, uh, definitely. And um, I, 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 ex- I extend that to tabletop games too, like card games oh, yeah. and things like that. I'm cool with all that. So. Well, yeah, we didn't even get into all those types of stuff. Oh, like yeah. Magic was a game Magic we both together. played and I, played, I really loved. Yeah, Poker. We used to sit around on Missouri Baptist campus and play poker. You should know what a butthole I am to play games with from playing Magic with me. Oh, yeah. Like, I just enjoy making people suffer. So, not in real life, just in games. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, because remember, like, I would even leave people hanging in Magic with a little bit of health left and not kill him just so I could torture him for a little while. So. Yep. I remember it's, that. It's bad. But anyway, yeah. Anything like that. Card games. Uh, any sort of tabletop game recommendations would be welcomed. Yeah. 
Um, I know for me, I'm not looking to spend a ton of money on them. So they're super expensive. Uh, Then maybe for Christmas or something. I don't know. (laughs) But anyway, we appreciate you guys listening week after week. I appreciate those of you who interact with us on the Facebook group and those of you who don't. Um, we still love you. Yeah, dude. You're just not as much. Um, I'm going to throw out there, go if you have time, uh, listen to other podcasts or have interest in other podcasts. Uh, I think it's dropping this week too, but I was I got the opportunity to join the Reform Logan Sharp from the Reform Gamers on their podcast. Uh, so go check them out. You can listen to me more without Luke, which is, you know, I think a lot of fun. Yeah, that was um, never near as good without me. <laughs> but Logan and I had a good time talking about Dishonored and some of the biblical themes in that, which we covered some on this side with Luke and I, but we covered it very differently over on their side. And if if you didn't listen to ours because you want to play through it and wanted to avoid spoilers, uh, Logan and I's um, podcast over there at TRG was spoiler-free. So uh, go check that out. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah... Um, Again, appreciate you guys. Listen to other podcasts. Don't listen to just us because I would go insane if I listened to just us. So, but I'm listen to you us would too. the most. Yes, yes, we are obviously <laughs> the. I can't even say we're the best because that's just not even true. No. <laughs> but you know, we should be up there. Just, just enjoy it. If you enjoy it, listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you guys. We will catch you next week. Uh, if you, oh. Mark has more news. The, if you want to join us on the Facebook page. Then come to Era 204 Podcast Facebook page. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at Era 204 Podcast. Uh, you can email us at Era 204 Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, any other podcast catcher that you have. Um, we now have a store. You can oh, buy yeah. we shirts should, we should recommend and that. other merchandise that my You can lovely buy whatever the flip made. you want. Shirts, um, mugs, shower curtains, duvets. I don't so even we'll, know what, what the crap a duvet <laughs> is, but you can buy one. I, I think um, it goes on your bed. But, yeah, you can get one. Um, you can get laptop cases. It, the possibilities are endless. You can put our faces on this stuff, people. It's amazing. Yep. You can get you can get us being romantic and smiling with our eyes. So Yeah, so you can find that at, uh, I think it's lfromydesigns.threadless.com. We'll, we'll add that to the show notes with all of our other stuff, too. Um, if you want to what check show that out, notes? We, I don't we've know. never we've on, never put show notes in a no, single. I'm talking episode. like on the descri- There's a link in the description on the web site. Okay, yeah, we can put the link to the website in go. the description. So <laughs> that's what I meant. Okay, I was like, we have never ever like the first few episodes we kept talking about. Oh, we'll put that in the show notes. No man to stop because we never had show notes to put up. So um, it is what it is. <laughs> anyway, there will be a link to her website in the description of this podcast, though. And just look around that website in general, too. Like, Lindsay... She's got a lot of other stuff wife, up there, too. She has a lot of fantastic stuff up there. She's very gifted in graphic design. And I'm, I'm very grateful that she was willing to put in the time and effort to She's the one who, like, made up our logo us. and all that kind of stuff, so... Yeah. So... Um, I, just got, I just got a shirt from her that just is a giant 1689 across the front of it, so... Nice. I just got my Air 204 shirt the other day and my mugs. Nice. So, anyway. All right. There we go. Now I can actually end, right? Nothing else now, to now add? Now we can end. We're good. Okay. Now I can. All right. We appreciate you guys. We will catch you next week. Bye. Bye.